This is an EM Pulse Heartbeat with your host, Julia Magana. Hi, and welcome back to EM Pulse. I caught up with two disparity experts and authors on the recent article, Racial and Ethnic Differences in Emergency Department Pain Management of Children with Fractures. I spoke to these two authors separately because, well, aligning three emergency medicine schedules requires an act of God, but their insights on the results and what we can do about it now is practice changing. The first guest you will hear is Dr. Monica Goyal. She's an associate professor of pediatrics and emergency medicine at the George Washington University School of Medicine, associate division chief of emergency medicine, as well as the director of academic affairs and research at Children's National Hospital. The second is my colleague at UC Davis, Dr. Tiffany Johnson. She is an assistant professor of pediatric emergency medicine at UC Davis, and her research is focused on race and racism, specifically how it applies to child's health. She's also a member of PCARN and has been on our podcast in the past. Their thoughts on the practice of treating pain in all children equitably really got me thinking about my own practice, and I hope it does yours as well. What was the basic study question? What were you guys asking? So this was a multi-center study that was designed to assess the management of pain among children who presented to emergency departments with long bone fractures. And we asked if there were any differences in pain management by a child's race and ethnicity. And first, we looked at whether or not pain medications were administered um, and the type of medication that was used. And then we also looked at um, pain relief. So in other words, how well was a child's pain controlled? Why is it that you guys are asking this question? Why are you studying the differences in pain medication for kids? Well, this study is just one of a series of studies that we're doing with NPCARN to examine for potential inequities that may exist in our network. And we chose to do this research in PCARN because um, one of the reasons is that PCARN has an electronic health registry. So at the time that this study was conducted, um, that registry included four pediatric emergency departments and three of their affiliated satellite centers. And the PCARN registry just continues to grow with new study sites being um, added every year. And some of the benefits of doing this research on PCARN is that we're able to get a much larger sample size than you would be able to get from doing a single center study. And PCARN also has lots of benefits over other nationally representative databases because um, not only do we just get a ton of data, but we also know exactly who the sites are and we also know who the providers are who are, uh, are involved in the care. So doing this research on PCARN really positions us well to do future studies where we can further explore what the sources of these inequities are and develop and test interventions in a way that will be challenging with just single sensor data or with um, nationally representative data alone. Um, I think one of the other benefits of doing this research in PCARN is that um, a lot of these PCARN sites are the top children's hospitals in the country. And so a lot of us would like to believe that because we're in these, you know, big centers that are providing the highest quality care and using evidence bases to provide our care, some of us may like to believe that, oh, disparities couldn't possibly exist in our centers. Um, but so there is some power in doing this research in PCORN that shows that even in the top children's hospitals, even in the biggest and best centers that exist, inequity still exists and we have a long way to go. And so I think that that is an important message for all of us. And what were your key findings? So our 
findings were really interesting. Um, although minority children were actually more likely to receive some form of analgesia, they were less likely to receive opioids and achieve optimal pain reduction. So, you know, I think what's really compelling about these findings is that if we had just stopped at administration of pain medication, we would have falsely concluded that minority children's pain is actually better controlled. But what we did was we kind of took things a step further and evaluated both the type of pain medications used. And then we also assessed whether or not a child uh, received adequate pain control. So here, what we found that was that while white children were often receiving opioids to control their pain, minority children were receiving medications like acetaminophen or ibuprofen. And that was even after we adjusted for injury severity and pain score. You know, I think what's most striking is that when we looked at whether minority children's pain was actually controlled, it wasn't. We found that minority children were less likely to receive optimal pain reduction, meaning they were less likely to move from having severe pain to pain categories of mild or no pain. So I think putting all this together, our findings suggest that we're less attentive to the pain of minority children when they're presenting to emergency departments with acute fractures. Were there any surprising results that you found? Unfortunately, I think given the work that I do, so my research is all focused on race and racism and its impact on child health. So I am um, rarely surprised when we find disparities. And so this research, I think, is consistent with a growing body of research that's being done in pediatric populations and in adult populations, documenting that disparities exist in a number of conditions, um, including in pain management. Um, And one of the reasons why I wasn't surprised by this is because there have been recent studies, including one that was done with um, medical students and residents, where they asked them about um, false beliefs about biological differences between Black and white individuals. And in that study, half of, again, medical students and residents reported that they thought that um, Black individuals had less sensitive nerve endings. They had thicker skin and stronger bones in comparison to white individuals. And again, these are not lay people but medical students or even, you know, MDs, physicians who have graduated from medical school and who are residents in training. And our residents are often the front line of providers who are the ones who are ordering medications for our patients. And another important finding of that study was that those individuals who had these false beliefs were more likely to rate a Black patient's pain as being lower, and they made less appropriate treatment recommendations. Um, And so um, the results that we found around analgesia pain management in the pediatric emergency department weren't surprising to me because we have all of this literature um, that continues to be published documenting these inequities. Uh, Yikes. (laughs) Wow. And that study was published in 2016. So it wasn't published like in 1966. Uh, In 2016, we still have um, individuals who have these false beliefs um, about patients. And so it's interesting about how do these false beliefs come into play when you're evaluating a patient. So even if you have someone who's presenting with, again, what would seem to be a very objective complaint of they're coming in with extremity pain, they have an x-ray that shows that they have a broken bone. But if we have these false beliefs um, that can be activated consciously or unconsciously, um, about, you know, Blacks being bigger, bolder, and stronger and not needing pain medication, it's, um, our results aren't surprising. Why do you think there is a difference in how we're treating these patients? Our study was designed to demonstrate the what, right? Not to understand or uncover the why. This current work or this cu- current published work really serves as a starting point in a line of planned work 
that we have developed to really try to achieve health equity. And um, the first step is actually identifying and documenting racial and ethnic disparities in the provision of care for children. You know, I think that we've known for quite some time that there's racial and ethnic disparities in the management of pain um, among adults. I think it's only been over the last few years where we've started to realize that this differential treatment actually extends to children as well. And, you know, once we've kind of, we demonstrate that this phenomenon actually exists uh, among the care that we're providing to kids, we can then really seek to try to understand what, what are the causes of these disparities. So, you know, and those can include cultural norms. So maybe families of different racial and ethnic backgrounds are differentially request or decline opioid medications. Implicit bias is definitely another uh, potential source for these disparities. Institutionalized racism, you know, and those are all things that we are planning to look at in future work, because we know that once, you know, if we want to really try to reduce these disparities and develop interventions um, that will then provide equitable care to kids, we need to understand what those causes, what the causes of these disparities are so we can really get to that root cause. Where do we go from here, Tiffany? What can we do with this information? So I think that there are there's so many directions that we can go from here. So I think that um, for individual providers who are reading this study, um, I'm hoping that um, providing this data for them, uh, because a lot of providers are very data driven. Right. And so when you show them these numbers, then it will hopefully increase their awareness so that individual providers can reevaluate their practice and work to ensure that all children, including minorities, are receiving the highest quality of care and are making sure that their pain gets addressed um, in the emergency department. Um, I also hope that individuals and other centers who are reading this will reevaluate what's taking place more system-wide in their institution and engage in more quality improvement initiatives that are stratifying their data by race and ethnicity um, to make racial equity a strategic priority um, within their institutions. Um, and then as far as PCARN is concerned, where do we go from here now that we have this study and other studies in the pipeline that have um, identified disparities in care? Again, PCARN is this multi-site research network, and it has conducted many groundbreaking studies to help improve the quality of pediatric emergency care. And so this study is just one step that will lead to future studies where we are able to better evaluate what the sources of those disparities are, looking at factors at the patient, parent, provider, and healthcare system level, um, and then understanding these drivers will allow us to develop and test interventions aimed at eliminating disparities. And so um, between the work from this study, as well as our overall PCARN disparities working group, we're hoping that we'll really be able to advance health equity um, through this rigorous research um, that we're working on uh, through the PCARN network. So Tiffany, you said we're data-driven individuals, and I sure hope that that is true. <laughs> um, we're also emotion-driven. How do we use this data? Like, how can I make sure on a shift that I'm not letting that unconscious bias creep up and change the way that I manage analgesia in my patients? How can I make my analgesia equitable? 
So I'm glad that you mentioned that because um, I am definitely an emotion-driven person too, in addition to be driven by data. And so I try to incorporate empathy into my practice. So, you know, a lot of times when we're working with residents in the emergency department, they may feel uncomfortable or nervous giving opioids to children because they're afraid, oh my goodness, these are like big, scary medications and these are little tiny kids. So one of the ways that I tap into that emotion of it is I'll ask them, okay, well, if you came into the emergency department with a broken bone, what would you like to receive as your pain management? And I don't think any resident has ever told me they wanted to get Tylenol or ibuprofen if they had a broken (laughs) bone coming to the emergency department. So whether they say they want to get morphine or dilaudid or fentanyl or, you know, um, an oral narcotic medication, I'll use that as a starting point. And I'll say, well, that's one option. Let's discuss, you know, all of the different options for pain management. And why don't you take this information to the family and have some shared decision making with them about what the next step is going to be for them so that we can make sure that their child is getting adequate pain control. I think it'd be interesting to have a podcast just talking about pain and how do we address this as a specialty because it is so incredibly complex and I struggle with it. You know, I'm not going to be able to get everybody's pain down to zero realistically um, and I can't use opiates on everybody, but I do feel like it is fair to use at least one opiate on a long bone fracture (laughs) in pain. I think that's fair. It's so complex with the opioid crisis now that um, that the pendulum is potentially swinging in the other direction of like, no, I don't want to give opioids to anyone because of our role in the opioid epidemic. Um, but again, when someone is coming in with a long bone fracture, which is an objectively painful complaint, um, I think that using opioids is reasonable. Um, but the other issue that comes up here is that even if people feel uncomfortable using opioids, it's interesting to see that there's a racial difference in where that discomfort is coming up. So what biases are coming into play where we feel very comfortable giving opioids to white children, but don't feel comfortable giving them to black children. So it doesn't just seem to be an, I don't know how to manage pain issue, or I'm uncomfortable using opioids issue, which may be a piece of the puzzle. Um, But a bigger piece of the puzzle is that there's some racial differences in kind of how that discomfort arises. Well, Tiffany, any other takeaway points, anything else that we can learn from this? So I think a takeaway would be um, how can we, um, when we're going into our shifts, um, what is our job to make sure that we are examining what our personal biases are um, and helping out the rest of our team, um, our nurses, our resident providers, our consultants who are working with us to really examine and evaluate our personal biases um, and ensure that those biases aren't impacting things like the medications that we're providing or even the diagnostic testing that we're performing, who gets a consult, who doesn't, who gets admitted and who doesn't. Um, and so I think that this is a, a call to all of us to um, examine how those biases may potentially impact the care that we're providing. Um, Because I do think that everyone, um, you know, I like to believe that in our, in our specialty, we, we go into medicine and we go into emergency medicine because we want to take care, the best possible care of every patient that comes in our door. Um, But the reality is that that doesn't take away from the fact that we're all human. Um, And so how do we um, work on uh, assessing how some of those biases may impact the care that we're providing, recognizing that we're all human, but encouraging each other to, to learn and grow from research like this. I try to use these principles of empathy and shared decision-making that Tiffany mentioned on my shift. And I know when I head into a shift tomorrow, I will be a little bit more mindful to recheck pain, decision share, and really watch that my implicit bias doesn't get in the way of treating all kids equally. Our next episode will continue the conversation on how race and racism impacts the care of our patients, specifically right now during the COVID pandemic. 
We will dive in with an expert from New York who's living out this crisis, as well as with our own expert on how COVID impacts patients of different racial and ethnic backgrounds. You won't want to miss it. See you next time.